Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia, with your hosts Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. Latvian BCM, welcome to episode number two hundred and seventeen of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am Joe Horgan here in Yelgava, joined by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Otto Tabuns, who I believe is in Riga at the moment. Is that correct, Otto? Uh, that's right, Joe. Um, hello, and hello, dear listeners. Uh, greetings from Riga. Yes, and it is uh, great to be back, uh, Otto, with you here to talk about the biggest stories that have uh, transpired here in Latvia over the last week or so. So for those of you who are listening to the show for the first time, what uh, Otto and I do is that we basically kind of talk through and give some extra context that you might not uh, have or uh, get in some other places about some of the biggest stories that happened here in the country and then also in the region. And then we also take a look at some of the things that are going to go on in the uh, upcoming time period. But we always like to start with a word of the week because many of you, although this is an English language podcast, are um, learning Latvian and uh, at different levels, which is something that you definitely should do if you want to have a uh, deeper connection with this country. And Otto, I think an appropriate word, we've probably done this before, but it's still something that I uh, think brings a lot of hope and joy to people, is the word pavasaris. And could you explain to people what that means? And that is our name for spring, and um, it, uh, as the basis of the word, has the same word we would use for summer, which is vasara. So a pavasaris would be the season uh, next or before uh, spring, so after the winter has hopefully gone, uh, but before uh, our summer has arrived. I'm going to be completely honest, Otto. That just blew my mind because I've never put that together before. That, yeah, it is, it does include, it's like pa, which is like, you know, like next to or, or close to. That is, wow. So I I, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to um, to learn so much from, from the word of the day myself, uh, but uh, thank you, Otto. That's... Well, uh, uh, compare it with uh, the word for uh, windowsill, paluods. So mm-hmm. it was also something um, b- below or by uh, the, the window or luok. So uh, something uh, that also can uh, give a hint of the connection of the word. Yeah, wow. So th- that's, um, that, that's awesome. I'm glad we did it this time. Because uh, the reason why we're doing this word of the week is because our top story is that spring is basically here in certain parts of the country, especially in parts of uh, Kurzeme and and also parts of um, Zemgale over the last couple of days uh, and also further north in the country over the next couple of days. There are parts of Latvia where it's going to be reaching uh, plus eight degrees, um, which uh, that's in Celsius. In Fahrenheit, for those of you who are listening from Fahrenheit places, that is 46 and a half Fahrenheit. So although we are halfway through February only, and it's still a darker time of year, we are getting closer and closer to spring. And, you know, my wife has been commenting how it does seem to her brighter and brighter, because it is brighter and brighter, but sometimes you don't always feel that, especially in this time of year, which can be you know, with, with snow melting all over the place, it can be a little bit uh, wet and uh, gray. And, you know, there's uh, today it's a very kind of overcast day, at least here in Yelgava. But how do you feel, Otto? Do you feel, and the people that you talk to kind of uh, on a daily basis feel that spring is, is really coming? 
Well, anytime it's above um, zero degrees or um, above freezing degrees, it feels like spring. Uh, of course, it is not helped too much uh, with uh, the rain, but certainly when the rain is uh, on the warm side, it could be an indication that perhaps uh, the reawakening of nature is um, not too far. But of course, one other issue that we have in this period where uh, you have um, the, the constant fluctuation of the temperature above and below freezing is that there is an increasing amount of uh, respiratory illnesses. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the flu is still here, but also many people I know have colds and um, the, the different uh, diagnoses like uh, these. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we've had tons of uh, colleagues who have been out sick. Uh, also, a lot of my daughter's friends have been sick as well. So yeah, it's, it's definitely the less uh, kind of fortunate part of this time of year. But but still, we are uh, getting closer and closer to the to the warmer, brighter time, which uh, most people enjoy me not so much due to my allergies. But um, at least I, I will be happy for for the rest of you who are spring enjoyers. But Otto, we, we have a lot to talk about this week. A uh, lot's been going on here and around the area. And I think um, the story that I, I think would be important to start with, because we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about this yet, is um, something that's been discussed quite widely in the Latvian um, and also the regional and international media space as well. And that is um, about one European, um, a member of European Parliament who has been in some hot water recently. And the update to that story is that, um, you know, she is also the one of the leaders of the uh, political party Latvia's Krivu Savieniba, the Latvian Russian Union, and um, uh, her and one other uh, leader of the party were summoned by the uh, State Security Service or Vals uh, Drosibus uh, Dienists uh, for some questioning today. And uh, maybe Otto, uh, since you know security issues are your um, you know field exactly, maybe you can give people a little bit overview um, of what uh, you know. Uh, what she's in, uh, you know, being, um, uh, what, what, what the situation is and, um, you know, how, how uh, potentially serious it could be. Uh, here we are talking about uh, the communication uh, that Mejdanoka um, uh, had as um, both uh, um, at this um, convocation of the European Parliament and before uh, with a uh, people who are known to be working with the Russian Federal Security Bureau and also um, question about uh, getting money from uh, the Russian government or people associated with the Russian government and the questions whether those resources as well as some resources of the European Parliament have been used by her to uh, in effect uh, promote uh, Russian uh, foreign policy, uh, Russian uh, influence and harm uh, both um, Latvian and uh, European interests as a result. Yeah, and this is a, uh, you know, um, this member of European Parliament, uh, Tatiana Janoka, has been, you know, somebody we've discussed quite frequently before on, on the show, somebody who's been qu controversial for uh, quite some time. Uh, but Otto, do you think that it is likely that there could be, um, you know, if, if, uh, if it turns out that, um, you know, the, these allegations are, um, you know, backed by solid evidence that there could be, um, you know, potential consequences? Uh, I think that uh, there could be um, consequences uh, if uh, there is uh, uh, evidence about uh, activities after 
2016 uh, because in the case of uh, Latvian law uh, criminal liability for um, assisting a foreign state in activities that would be designed against our country uh, have been criminalized only since that time uh, there has been a, a, a string of emails ha that have been uh, leaked uh, that would show the communication um, allegedly between Ms. Zdanoka uh, uh, and the, the people who um, are known to work for Russian secret services. So it could be questioned whether any of that communication and interaction after 2016 uh, could uh, be enough uh, to uh, open a criminal investigation according to uh, Latvian law. Well, we will definitely keep you updated with this story because this is one that uh, you know has been talked about for some time already, and uh, will there'll definitely continue to be attention on um, on this particular party as there has been for some time already. But I want to turn to another story, Otto, where we've definitely talked about these characters quite a bit previously, and this is Resignate City Council. And particularly, we've talked quite a bit uh, about the previous. Uh, head of the city council who um, was basically let go from that position by the, or has been suspended from his work would be a kind of a more precise way of saying it by um, the uh, the national government. And that is uh, Alexandris uh, Bartashevich um, from the Together for Latvia party. And apparently um, there were representatives of uh, CNAB, the uh, Corruption Prevention and Combating Bureau, who visited uh, this was uh, kind of in the middle of last week based on allegations that there could be misuse of classified information. So uh, disclosure of classified information specifically for personal motives. So Otto, um, as somebody who um, you know is, is much more familiar with, uh, with Latvia's um, you know, uh, laws than I am, so uh, how, how serious could this potentially be based on um, uh, the information that has been uh, made available about the allegations? Um, how, how, how serious is this potential misuse of classified information? Because this is something, you know, as, as an American, um, you know, in American politics, we've uh, talked about quite a bit recently about, um, you know, the, the safeguards and, and you know, what, uh, how, how classified information is supposed to be used. Well, uh, certainly there are uh, different regulations with regard to uh, what level of uh, classification uh, the classified information uh, has, uh, but uh, even if uh, information is not confidential, secret or top secret, uh, there are there is still data that would be uh, limited in access and uh, there would be a prescribed way how it can be used and can be accessed and uh, it is um, not allowed to use it, let's say, for uh, activities that are not directly connected to specific uh, work tasks. Um, and um, in the case of the municipality, I would assume that there uh, are not, let's say, top secret uh, documents uh, that uh, we are considering here, uh, but it could be uh, something similar to the case where um, um, perhaps, Joe, you would also recall, uh, to give an analogy, uh, the uh, a famous uh, singer in Latvia who was actually a full-time policeman. Uh, he uh, shared information from one of the databases that he had as a policeman to a friend of his in the entertainment business, and that was not part of his uh, 
uh, task and that was not part of the the work that he was doing and so he was not allowed uh, to uh, do that and uh, that was uh, identified the situation was found out and as a result uh, he uh, received uh, uh, punishment for that because even if information is not secret but still uh, classified such as with the limited access uh, it would be you know at least a conflict of interest of uh, using the public resources for your personal gains uh, but especially if that would uh, be you know in, in contravention of uh, the the national interest or even the municipal interest and uh, would uh, not be fair or uh, legal especially if we would talk about personal information or access to databases that should only be uh, used for particular work uh, tasks well, we will definitely keep an eye on that. But the overall situation, which we've been covering in Resigne, has been about the uh, major issues regarding its budget, um, which has led to serious fallout, serious uh, political consequences. And um, so j just as a you know very basic overview, there was a uh, budget uh, gap that was not covered by um, income that was found by the uh, state audit office previously and and has led to um, uh, the national government intervening. And the biggest update with this story is that the governing uh, the national governing coalition has supported granting a five million euro loan to the municipality of Resigne in order for them to be able to carry out the services that they need to carry out, um, which cannot be covered apparently by the uh, the current budget, which was not planned in accordance to um, well, the way the budgets should be planned. Um, and this would be one that would have to be paid back uh, within 15 years and, and would uh, be, you know, earmarked for very specific purposes. But Otto, um, you know, do, does this seem like a reasonable solution for this particular situation? Well, it would be difficult to imagine that the government would uh, loan any money if there would still be uh, outstanding financial issues uh, in the amounts of millions of uh, euros. Uh, even though this could be a solution, uh, um, there is still a doubt on whether uh, Rezekne would be able uh, to uh, fulfill the conditions so I think uh, there is still the uncertainty uh, whether that will uh, go through and whether any uh, more strict measures will have to be taken to resolve the situation in which Rezegna cannot pay for the expenses uh, that uh, are about to occur uh, throughout this year. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on the situation in Resigne. But another update uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, difficult uh, logistical issues, and this has to do with the uh, building project on one of the country's largest hospitals. This is the uh, Paul Stradinch Clinical University Hospital, um, which is uh, in the middle of a major uh, building project. And we've talked previously about how there have been issues with the builder and how um, they've lost access to some of the funding that was uh, uh, granted to them uh, due to uh, delays and due to um, different construction violations. And there was speculation that they could break the contract with this firm, um, Velve, and it seems like that is the case now. So the contract was terminated uh, last Tuesday. And obviously, that's going to have some major implications going forward. But it seems like the situation was so bad that that was the best option out of a lot of bad options. So I don't know, Otto. I mean, it, it seems like, um, you know, with, with a lot of these kind of large 
construction projects, there there tend to be uh, you know issues with you know uh, the 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 contracts and with um, some of the uh, some of the builders who are trying to implement them. You know, here in Yelgova, we have some some major issues also with some of the uh, construction projects, which I won't get into right now because that would take a while. But uh, that, how do you how do you rate this move? Oh. Well, certainly there were a number of issues with regard to uh, the hospital building complex um, and the hospital chose to terminate uh, the agreement, the contract unilaterally. Uh, the construction company does not agree to this and uh, is not uh, uh, recognizing the fact. So uh, we will probably see this going to court and then um, we'll be able to see an, perhaps an informed evaluation of the arguments of both the uh, hospital and the uh, construction company but the um, uh, as a result it will certainly uh, delay uh, the, the the building of the, the new hospital building complex uh, so hopefully it gets resolved as soon as possible so that uh, there would not be a loss of the resources that could be uh, provided uh, or were planned to be provided uh, to um, uh, fulfill the uh, construction uh, plan. So let's hope for the best. Hopefully they'll be able to resolve it as soon as possible. Otherwise, it can certainly affect a certain part of the healthcare services that we have. Well, we have talked about on this show before uh, various scams to be aware of, and there is one that has become quite prominent in the last uh, you know week or so especially apparently more than 20,000 euros have been defrauded from Latvian citizens according to state police but there is this company uh, called Digital Turbine or this fake company that basically is promising jobs to basically watch movies um, which you know it, one of these things that sounds too good to be true it probably is and uh, one of the red flags should be that in order to, um, you know, in order to uh, go forward and, and be able to get this job, uh, you have to pay a deposit um, using uh, one of these uh, bank accounts uh, that is provided in these uh, Telegram, these WhatsApp links, you know, auto. I mean, th this is the kind of stuff, obviously, that, you know, I, I talked with my students about and, uh, you know, that, that you've, you know, also with uh, your work at the Baltic Security Foundation, you, you, you've also provided, you know, material on, on media literacy about these kinds of things as well. But, you know, obviously, there is a large, you know, segment of, um, you know, not just Latvia's population, but the world population, um, which unfortunately, you know, does not have the uh, required media literacy to be able to identify this as a, as a, um, as a fraud. So, I don't know, you know, do, do you think, um, you know, how do, how do we kind of go forward and, and um, you know, uh, try to try to prevent these kinds of things in the future? No, uh, indeed, you're right. It is a matter of uh, media literacy, um, because um, as we can see, not not all of the disinformation has uh, a, a political uh, goals. Uh, it is also a way how to get money, uh, even though also some of the scams that we have seen around the world are also used by some uh, hostile but isolated governments to get uh, those currencies that would be globally recognized and euro is certainly one of those along with the United States dollar uh, but uh, it is the matter of just uh, not acting uh, too quickly uh, and uh, making your own uh, research uh, looking up uh, what is this offer that is there on the table and certainly 
I have never had uh, a job in which I would have to pay a deposit to start working. Uh, Joe, I'm sure that probably you also have never uh, been in such an employment situation where you would have to pay uh, to be able to, to start uh, working. So it could also be the matter of common sense and the way how the labor market is regulated and what are the basic safeguards and the, the principle of um, being employed especially if you would pay a deposit to someone that you have not seen have not known and just come to think of it well what would be the ways of getting that money back if something goes wrong we know that there are uh, those guarantees in terms of deposits uh, the, the state guarantees um, also in terms of the written contracts you can go to the court uh, but uh, on platforms such as uh, this one, uh, you know, there is no guarantee and that is something that uh, people should consider uh, if they would um, ever entertain the idea of engaging with them. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book the, and there's so many variations of this of, you know, I mean, the classic one that I think most of our listeners would know is, oh, uh, you know, I have gotten this inheritance and I need to get to, to an American account or, you know, a European account, but, uh, you know, I, and I need your bank information and you'll get a percent, but uh, just for it to go through, you know, we need a deposit also. It, it always involves this kind of like, why exactly would I need a deposit? And then, you know, obviously, you know, like you said, if you put two and two together, it should be pretty clear that that's a scam. But unfortunately, you know, the... Um, yeah, you know, I and I, I like I like also what you said about you know these um, disinformation campaigns. They're not always political. I mean, like the the oldest, <laughs> you know, the, the the oldest one in the book is just to to make money. You know, and and there's been scams since the beginning of time since uh, money has existed. So, anyway, just always be vigilant and and use common sense, like Otto said. But Otto, we've talked a lot in the course of Latvia Weekly's run over the last uh, pretty much five and a half years at this point about school network optimization, which basically, you know, the, the situation in the country is that the amount of students is not increasing in general, and there are certain parts of the country where there are significantly less students, um, especially in rural areas, than there would have been 20 or 30 years ago, and that has led to the um, so-called optimization of the school network, which generally involves uh, closing schools or combining schools together or uh, changing, for example, a school that previously provided secondary education, grades 10, uh, 10 through 12, to just primary education. And obviously, this has been a very painful process for many parts of the country where a school might be the center of the community, not just a place where children receive education, but where cultural events be, might be able to take place, where other uh, types of events might be able to take place. But, um, you know, there, there have been all kinds of uh, different creative ways that uh, schools have taken to try to keep um, keep the schools open. And uh, one I wanted to draw our attention to, and I wanted to get your take on this one, is in the municipality of Jakobpils, which is kind of in the in the center south of the country, um, further towards the east. Uh, one school that um, has uh, kind of gone through this process is uh, Kruspils um, uh, Secondary School, and they. Um, Basically, they already have combined together with a um, smaller school uh, in a rural area called uh, Variyashi, which is uh, a little bit further to the um, northeast. But they're worried that um, if a new 
kind of a, a model of uh, teacher remuneration is introduced that they uh, a school in an urban area will have to have at least 360 pupils in the first uh, nine grades. And they're worried that they uh, don't have quite enough to meet that criteria. So uh, their solution has been changing the legal address of the school from outside of uh, the urban area of Yakupils to um, Variishi, the official um, the the official address. And uh, from what I can tell, the um, Ministry of Education does not uh, <laughs> does not look favorably upon this particular. Um, upon this particular method to uh, be able to meet the requirements to stay open. Um, and they, they said that obviously there are other ways that that uh, could take place, that that's only one of the criteria uh, to stay open is the, is the amount of um, students and that they could also provide a, um, uh, an official uh, explanation as to why um, this is a uh, significant one that needs to stay open. But it, it definitely is a creative method, Otto, and I wanted to get kind of your take on this. Do you, do you, do you think that we're also going to be seeing, um, you know, maybe, maybe other uh, schools throughout the country um, take measures uh, such as these to kind of um, be able to fit the, uh, the letter of the law? You know, uh, theoretically, uh, it could uh, be a solution for all of the schools, but uh, in any replication of the same scenario, it will be just easier for the Ministry of Education to change the criteria further so that either this would not be uh, recognized or that um, um, it would be a completely different set of criteria that uh, would make the, the legal address um, not so much of an issue. Um, because it is a problem on the one hand, uh, indeed you say that there are a number of the functions uh, that the school has beyond just education, such as being the um, social and cultural uh, center and also a, a reason uh, for um, the families and the young people to stay in the given municipality, providing a certain future to it. At the same time, uh, you know, the ministry is trying to address the issue that uh, that you um, uh, mentioned that um, even though providing education is a municipal responsibility it is the case that it is not possible for uh, the um, city councils uh, such as um, in the case of Jakobils uh, to afford uh, to keep uh, the school open if the state funding was taken away uh, so you know, if the municipalities would have been able to afford all the schools, all of them would have stayed open. Uh, but uh, if there is the state funding and it has to be uh, redistributed, uh, well, there have to be some choices made because it is clear that we cannot uh, keep all of the schools open uh, all of the time. Uh, and uh, it is the matter how we make um, a decision based on the limited uh, funds that we have in the national budget for the purposes of education uh, because it is indeed uh, good and probably there would not be many people who would uh, argue against uh, the, the different functions that uh, municipal schools have. Uh, it would be also the question of uh, equality um, because uh, by keeping open uh, schools uh, that are not within the different sets of criteria that has been discussed over the, the last years it would be the question uh, you know 
no, from uh, which other parts of the education system we would take these resources away, for example, from the larger cities, uh, and um, how would uh, that be affected if, for example, if we would look at the expenditure per pupil um, or per teacher uh, in those uh, smaller schools, you would spend so much more resources than, for example, in the larger schools, such as in the city of Yalgava, Riga, or other cases. So if it is a matter of uh, redistribution of um, pub public wealth, then how to do it in a, a fairer way, um, also remembering that it is also the, the other schools that matter too. Yeah, and, and it just gets back, you know, like you said, to this kind of existential, you know, philosophical question, which much of the world has been, you know, wrestling with is, you know, what, what exactly to do? Because Latvia is far from the only place uh, in the world where rural areas are um, having less and less inhabitants. And, you know, there's a process that's been going on for, you know, almost 200 years at this point, or, or maybe more than that, you know, where with, uh, you know, uh, people moving away from rural areas, moving to cities, and, uh, you know, what to do, you know, philosophically, str strategically with the situation. So definitely something that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue to struggle with, um, you know, and, and, and have to find, uh, make very difficult decisions, like you mentioned, Otto, uh, for, these, for these painful questions. But uh, I would like to turn to generally what's our favorite topic to discuss, maybe not this particular week, because uh, it's not all great news this week. But uh, Otto and I are big fans of rail travel, especially within the country of Latvia. But one story that we've talked about previously is about a potential planned Riga-Tartu train, uh, which would be the first time that rail transport is um, offered between, or at least passenger rail transport between uh, Riga and uh, Estonia's second largest city of Tartu in quite some time. And, you know, th this is a route, you know, there's many people who study at the University of Tartu, which is the major uh, Estonian university. So there, there's certainly, you know, I, I, I do believe that there seems to certainly be a market for it. And, you know, there's a, there's a bus that goes uh, fairly frequently. And this is the Estonian passenger train operator who has been planning on implementing this. The Estonian Ministry of Climate has already earmarked money for this, uh, 300,000 euros. But it seems like the earliest that most likely this will be implemented is autumn, you know, even though, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, hope has been to you know, be able to uh, uh, ha have this uh, in time for, you know, Tartu's um, turn as the um, uh, the culture uh, capital of um, Europe and be able to get some Latvian visitors as well pretty frequently. But uh, right now the plan is sometime in September or October. And, you know, the, the reasons are, you know, the kind of the boring reasons which hold up any kind of project. You know, the fact that uh, Estonian uh, passenger drivers have to be, you know, probably trained on the uh, Latvian railroads and, you know, whether or not they need to have a Latvian driver with them. You know, also the issues of timetables and, and making sure that there actually is a time that actually lines up with um, something convenient that, you know, this uh, fairly busy rail route could be used by a passenger train. You know, and on one hand, you know, I, I want to get your take on this, Otto, because on one hand, you know, th this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, may, you know, on one hand makes me feel like, you know, I, I want to vote for some kind of chainsaw wielding, you know, populist who's going to say, you know, we need to get rid of this kind of red tape and just, you know, let's just go for it. Let's just do it. Let's just get the train in and, and you know, we'll worry about it as it comes. But on the other hand, you know, if you don't, 
work out this very boring stuff ahead of time, then, you know, there are incidents where, you know, there was some misunderstanding there, you know, the, the driver didn't understand something about the Latvian railway, uh, you know, not, not necessarily here, but in other parts of the world, you know, a driver, you know, wasn't uh, fully properly trained, didn't understand something that was going on, or, you know, there was some misunderstanding with the timetable and, you know, there's accidents. And if there is some kind of, you know, a disaster that happens, then, then obviously uh, there's going to be outrage afterwards. So I don't know, you know, these kinds of processes are always frustrating auto, but, but I, I want to get your your take on this kind of overall, just um, glacial kind of pace of uh, reestablishing uh, international uh, train service, you know, between the, uh, the between the Baltic countries. Well, uh, certainly one of the issues here is that already uh, Riga and Tartu is relatively well connected. Um, many people along that uh, line um, have uh, cars, and so they would uh, use a personal uh, transport. Um, especially as you would have a number of uh, those um, agricultural um, enterprises, also people who have their uh, summer homes. Uh, it would sometimes be uh, quite uh, seasonal or um, the, the, the way of living in uh, that uh, along those parts of Latvia uh, would um, involve um, an increased use of um, uh, private uh, transportation. Uh, at the same time, there is already um, a reasonably well-developed um, national public transit. If you would look at um, the area between um, uh, Riga, uh, Cess and uh, Valmir and already it is possible uh, to, to get to um, um, Estonia uh, with a train because uh, it uh, terminates in uh, Valga, so the Riga-Valga train, the, the one that goes via uh, Sigurd, Cess and uh, Valmir. And of course let us remember that there is a, um, a bus um, service that is uh, connecting um, the uh, two uh, major cities uh, so uh, it would not be the case that there would not be other ways how to get there and uh, perhaps uh, in the, there is already trust and reliance on, on the services that are already there in place uh, one reason why people could be um, a bit skeptical about uh, re-establishing the particular ra railway link because the idea was also connected to the fact uh, that uh, Tartu this year is one of the European capitals of culture. Uh, and it would be then the question whether it is uh, worth to put in all those resources uh, with the assumption that perhaps uh, the next year or year after uh, the demand would not be so big. So who will cover the costs? Uh, the Estonian side found 300,000 euros uh, to provide for the service, but uh, Perhaps it should have been done earlier if it was uh, connected with the idea to provide more visitors to Tartu as the European cultural capital. But indeed, matters of uh, certification, um, uh, test um, runs and um, other um, activities that you have to do, uh, well, I'm sure that they were aware of all those issues and it is the matter of organization uh, why they could not have done it earlier. Uh, perhaps there are also some uh, other points uh, connected to other general issues we have in our uh, railway um, system as with the new trains and the uh, construction work such as in the Riga Central Station and so on. Um, 
hopefully it uh, goes ahead certainly uh, another connection would be uh, useful but uh, I'm not very optimistic that that will happen um, uh, this uh, year so uh, because uh, unexpected questions uh, may arise they usually do so yeah that's a that's a very balanced and uh, very intelligent take on the situation so Hopefully, though, all the uh, kinks will be worked out and we will be able to uh, get train service because that, that would be my favorite way to travel to Tartu, which is a wonderful place to visit if you've never done so before. But the much bigger headache when it comes to international rail service is the major Rail Baltic project, which we've been talking about for many, many years already and is a extremely ambitious project to connect the Baltic states with the rest of your uh, Western Europe's uh, high-speed rail network, which is a different gauge or distance between the uh, uh, the uh, tracks than uh, what is uh, most common in this region of the world. And uh, that's something that uh, has already gone through major cost overruns and many delays. And right now, um, you know, the good news is that the bridge over the river Daugava, which for those of you who have been in the center of Riga, you've seen that there's a lot of construction going on by the uh, central market in the, you know, central station itself in the areas around and also all the way up to the river Daugava. But um, work on the actual bridge itself is, um, you know, beginning and uh, apparently they're planning on completing it. This is a kilometer long bridge, which is going to go across the river Daugava parallel to the other uh, existing rail bridge. So uh, this is expected to last until the year 2028, um, and there's still significant um, funding which has to be acquired to complete the entire bridge. But the bigger issue, you know, it's something that we've talked about previously, uh, you know, the big discussion is whether or not uh, when, you know, the Rail Baltic project officially opens, if the connection through Riga is going to be ready. There's been significant talk over, um, you know, especially from the European Commission side, that uh, whether or not the um, very challenging connection through Riga, which, you know, requires um, significant engineering challenges, you know, uh, tunnels and this bridge, uh, if that is going to be uh, done in time, or if at least when Rail Baltic uh, is, uh, you know, originally opened, if only the uh, bypass past Riga that's going to go through, um, uh, you know, the, where, where Salispils is over the Daugava that way, if only that will be open. So there was more discussion uh, this week on the European uh, Commission side. There was an interview with um, uh, Latvia's Radio. Obviously, you know, the uh, Latvian government would not be happy with that, but uh, it is very important from the European side that uh, by 2030, the um, connection is open and then um, the, you know, the connector through Riga could happen afterwards. But I don't know, Otto, how, how do you see this happening? Do you think it is likely that when Rail Baltic officially uh, kind of opens that um, the uh, connection through Riga might not be ready yet at that point? Well, that is a possibility, but certainly I would expect the Latvian government to do their best to uh, prevent that scenario from happening. Um, because uh, 
whereas the bridge that they start to build uh, over the Daugo River would be mm, most important to connect uh, the line uh, with the Riga airport, uh, but um, it would not uh, prevent Riga itself being connected to the line in case there are delays uh, for building the, the new bridge uh, because the um, connection between the Riga central station and the rest of the uh, rail Baltic line will not uh, Across uh, the Daugov River in uh, Riga um, itself, um, so the access would be over the other side with regard to the bridge that would cross Daugava in the area of uh, Salaspils. So um, that would be more material to the uh, possibility of connecting a city uh, with the the line. Well, hopefully, yeah, hope, hopefully that that could work as a as a as a solution certainly, and uh, we we will. Definitely be talking a lot more about Rail Baltic, um, as we always have. I mean, I I don't think we've ever gone more than you know four or five episodes maximum without without talking about Rail Baltic. So there's there's always new um, updates to talk about, and and hopefully we'll have some um, you know v- very positive news next time. But it's it's, it's good to see that uh, construction on the bridge is beginning, and elsewhere in mass transit. So for those of you who use Riga's Satixme, the Riga public transit system, you will be seeing more of the electronic bus timetables and trolley bus timetables, tram timetables throughout the uh, system. And some of them uh, will be updated as well because um, some of them, the ones that were set up uh, when I kind of first came to uh, to Latvia, um, they are being updated and replaced. So Definitely uh, nice to see that there is, you know, continued in investment going into um, Riga Satixme. But I guess, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, Otto, in, just in general, as a, you know, somebody who's been a resident of Riga for quite some time. And, you know, I, you know, I know you also use car as well, but I'm, I'm sure you also use Riga Satixme to a certain extent. But, um, you know, how, how, how is the situation in general? Do, do people in Riga seem more or less satisfied with, um, with uh, the, uh, the public transit service as it is at the moment? Well, uh, certainly it is the the most common way how to get around other than uh, walking. And um, I would say in comparison with most other cities that I have been to, Riga has one of the best public transit systems. Um, and I have traveled the world, so I can't compare. Uh, but indeed, uh, of course, we would always focus on those issues that could be improved, uh, you know, what, what could be better. Uh, so the timetables indeed could be um, a, a point that could be improved, uh, although um, so far it has not been a major issue, especially for those of us who would use the Riga Public Transit and uh, would check the timetable um, either on, um, you know, where it is provided. So it is uh, accessible, so it is printed in the stations and um, it is accessible over the internet so if there are some delays it is also notified uh, but uh, of course the electronic uh, timetables would be very useful so that it, uh, it would uh, reflect the actual uh, situation especially in those uh, circumstances where there would be traffic jams or some um, traffic accidents that would uh, make uh, the particular uh, buses or other um, uh, uh, vehicles uh, to be delayed so that uh, if you have to be somewhere in hurry you would uh, reconsider what uh, other um, um, mode of public transit you could use instead of uh, having to rely let's say on a, a taxi or uh, having to cancel uh, your plans altogether. 
Certainly. Well, um, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that uh, generally the situation is uh, good. It's been quite some time since I have lived in Riga and um, you know have, have used the public transportation. But you know, it certainly would always kind of depend on um, you know uh, different different uh, different situations. But anyway, um, I want to kind of start to wrap up the domestic section with a few musical stories, and one is um, quite sad, but um, you know, that this is uh, a part of life. Um, so Yuris uh, Kulikovs, who uh, many people might recognize the group um, Perkons, which is one of Latvia's most famous rock groups, but also he was a member of the band uh, Menuets as well. Uh, so he passed away uh, just a few days ago, I believe on Monday. And uh, so, uh, you know, he had uh, been suffering from some illnesses for some time, but still, um, you know, it's, it's very sad to uh, lose one of Latvia's musical greats, and certainly our uh, sympathies go out to uh, all of his uh, close ones, and, and also the many people in Latvia who uh, were uh, very deeply inspired by uh, his his music. And, you know, certainly, you know, you, you would agree, Otto, definitely, that uh, Perkons is one of the kind of, I don't know, you know, one, one of the first bands that people here in Latvia kind of think of when they think of Latvian rock music, and especially, you know, the, the, the 80s and kind of 90s era. Indeed, um, if uh, our listeners are fans of rock music, then certainly Parkons should be the first uh, Latvian uh, rock group that I would uh, recommend you to check when uh, looking more and listening more to, to that part of our uh, music. But certainly it is also very important that uh, the political context and the different restrictions that they had to uh, deal with, uh, with a trying to um, play the music they wanted to play during the Soviet occupation and also the significance that uh, their works had uh, and Mr. Kulkov's work uh, had uh, for many uh, Latvians not only in terms of uh, music uh, as beautiful as it was uh, but also in terms of uh, civic conscience. Definitely. Well, um, a little bit uh, happier Latvian uh, musical news, I guess, is that for those of you who are fans of Eurovision, we have our challenger for the year, and that is the very well-known uh, pop star Dons, who is one of the, the most successful Latvian singers in quite some time. And uh, he actually competed um, to try to get to Eurovision, uh, I believe it was 11 years ago at this point, but um, he, he made it to the finals, and uh, it was between him and one other song. Um, that song went on to become one of the most famous kind of Latvian um, you know, pop songs in quite uh, some time, but this year he has uh, had quite a bit of success because he had just won um, the uh, Zelta Microphones uh, competition for his song, and, and now he has won Supernova and will be representing Latvia in May in Eurovision up in Sweden. So, Otto, um, I, I don't know if you got a chance to uh, watch Supernova or at least hear uh, Don's song, but uh, you know, do, do you think that maybe this year we might be able to have a little bit more success than we've had in, in the previous years of, uh, of Eurovision? I think that uh, for our listeners, it is up 
uh, to them to decide whether they like the song or not that is always a matter of taste but uh, I would like to uh, recommend the fact that uh, dance is one of the most experienced uh, professional pop singers in uh, Latvia for many years now so I think uh, at least uh, just for that um, he should be able uh, to uh, provide strong competition to other uh, participants of uh, the Eurovision Festival and um, I think uh, that uh, he should be able to represent our country well so um, we can uh, wish him uh, much luck. Absolutely yeah I mean definitely you know out of everybody that we could be sending you know he's he's certainly um, some yeah like, like you said uh, somebody with a great experience and you know I, I, I would say uh, an excellent voice I, I really love his voice so well Otto let's end the domestic section uh, with a look kind of in from the international side. So for those of you who have not had a chance to visit Latvia before, particularly Riga, well, it might be time because the European Best Destinations uh, list has, uh, or a group has um, listed the uh, 20 kind of best uh, tourist destinations in uh, Europe, and Riga was ranked sixth in the uh, 2024 ratings. So very, um, you know, considering the many wonderful places in Europe to visit, that's a, a pretty excellent ranking, I would say, Otto. Uh, would you agree? Indeed, because in Europe you would really have so many destinations. Europe is the most visited part of the world um, in terms of tourism, and certainly it is very uh, encouraging to see that uh, Riga um, is still um, also highly uh, uh, competitive uh, in terms of what it can offer and the different opportunities that it brings to people from other countries and I could uh, sympathize uh, with the um, uh, ranking so it is very nice to be for Riga to be ranked uh, together with uh, Marbella in Spain, uh, Monaco, um, uh, Malta, uh, Geneva and uh, Batumi the beautiful Georgian uh, port city there. Yes definitely very good company so if you haven't had a chance to visit Riga, then uh, definitely make a point of it this year. So, uh, and uh, maybe you'll run into Otto and I here in, uh, well, I don't know. If you come to Yelgova, then it's more likely you'll run into me. But Yelgova, you can get to pretty easily from Riga. So uh, definitely, um, you know, and, and many other uh, beautiful cities throughout the country as well. But Otto, uh, let's take a look at international, uh, our international section now. And uh, this was a very interesting uh, story. And... Um, I definitely want to hear your take on this, but there was a uh, strange bit of political theater uh, that the Russian um, government uh, seemed to want to uh, take part in, and that was um, naming or, or uh, basically um, uh, putting out a um, uh, wanted list for a number of Latvian uh, deputies and authorities who uh, they say are involved with the um, dismantling of Soviet monuments, which we have been uh, covering over the last, um, you know, basically two years at this point, this process to dismantle a number of uh, monuments which were put up um, by, by the Soviet authorities and uh, are now seen as uh, symbols of occupation, certainly, and, and had been for quite some time. Um, but this was a widely reported uh, political stunt that was done, and now the charge d'affaires of the Russian uh, embassy has been summoned to for an explanation. So I don't know what what is your overall take on this kind of um, bizarre situation. Well, 
um, it is a part of the way uh, how to mm, intimidate uh, those uh, countries and those politicians um, uh, who have uh, not looked favorably at uh, the activities of Russia um, internationally and um, it is perhaps also sort of a response uh, to the attempts especially uh, among the western countries uh, to uh, call to accountability uh, the uh, war crimes uh, that uh, the russian government has orchestrated in ukraine as part of its aggression uh, against the ukrainian uh, state uh, so in in some way this would be a, a tit for tat uh, and um, in, in other ways it could also be um, a part of a, a hybrid uh, war just to um, create fear, uh, the perception of threat, uh, and uh, to uh, try to uh, show that perhaps there is uh, no high regard um, if uh, we would be looking at the reaction of the um, Western uh, countries uh, with regard to uh, the activities of uh, Russia. Uh, so certainly uh, it is uh, more than uh, just words, uh, because uh, we remember the case of uh, um, one uh, former uh, politician of uh, Latvia um, uh, being issued an uh, international arrest warrant by uh, Russia and uh, almost getting in trouble in Kyrgyzstan and uh, there with the activity of the honorary consul and um, other good connections it was possible to, to resolve the situation uh, but uh, this could be uh, potentially one uh, tool that Russia could uh, use uh, to sort of uh, hit us where we live uh, in terms of those uh, occasions uh, when uh, particular uh, Latvian uh, politicians or other decision makers uh, would be in uh, countries outside the European Union and NATO uh, or where uh, Russian influence uh, would be of significance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. It just it just makes, you know, I you know I I, I understand the you know like the the tit for tat aspect and everything, but it just it it just is part of this trend of, of Russia just not wanting to seem like a, a serious country that wants to take part in the uh, you know established international order, which has been quite a clear trend for quite some time. But you know, it's it's very sad to uh, see this continuing certainly and um yeah you know it, there there are there are, um you know certainly are important implications like you uh, mentioned you know given given travel to various countries but um i wanted to also in our international section auto um give you a chance to uh talk about some of the work that the baltic uh, security foundation um, is going to uh, or has been doing and uh, especially an event that is taking part on Friday which I will uh, be uh, taking part in as well that has to do with um, disinformation monitoring and the kind of um, you know also media literacy that we've been talking about earlier. Yeah, thank you Joe. I look forward to the event uh, tomorrow uh, on Friday and our uh, listeners uh, can uh, still uh, register and um, uh, perhaps join in the few of the remaining places uh, because at the National Library um, on Friday at um, uh, 3.30 we will um, have the opening event of our disinformation monitoring and tracking 
uh, project that uh, we um, at the foundation do together uh, with the Civic Resilience Initiative in Lithuania uh, and we are supported in our effort in Google and as part of the project so it has uh, two elements. The first one is uh, monitoring disinformation in all three Baltic states in several languages and uh, both uh, publishing uh, the conclusions about the general trends uh, as well as uh, using that information uh, for public info education as well as a source uh, for uh, creating recommendations for decision makers both at national and European level of what uh, we can do better to fight uh, disinformation. The other part of the project is uh, the creation of an interactive uh, media literacy game uh, that uh, we will be able to provide for free uh, for schools in the Baltic uh, states and also provide training uh, for those teachers who would like to include that as part of their uh, media literacy or uh, civic studies uh, education. Uh, so I think this could be uh, one way how we can contribute to addressing the issue of uh, disinformation, media literacy, as we already established in one of our stories previously. So there are uh, many uh, unconventional ways how that affects our security and hopefully this will be a very uh, valuable step how to uh, resolve it. And I'm also very glad that uh, you will be there, uh, Joe, together uh, with other experts, uh, such as representatives of the Institute of World Politics and the Baltic Media Excellency Center, uh, to share um, our observations of what are the key issues um, in terms of information security and what has been our experience uh, with uh, dealing with them. And here I would like to underline the very great experience that uh, Joe has had as a media literacy teacher, uh, something that indeed puts us um, at the... Uh, first place um, in many ways um, uh, among the Baltic states because not uh, everywhere else you would have such a, a big attention to that issue as uh, it is uh, in the program that uh, the Joe has developed for example for the Yalgova uh, Spidolo State uh, High School. Well thank you Otto it's going to be a pleasure to take part and I really look forward to also uh, using that game eventually with my students and you know I'm sure uh, we can take part in the uh, you know, uh, testing for that as well, but uh, definitely uh, good work that you guys are doing over there, and, and I, I really look forward to taking part in this event. So, um, you know, definitely, if, if you have a chance to, to uh, go uh, tomorrow, then it would be excellent, and that is not the only uh, fantastic event that's going to be taking part at Latvia's National Library in the next uh, week or so, because on the 24th of February, so this is not this coming Saturday, but the one afterwards, there is going to be a charity event at 6.30. And if you're not able to make it to the Latvia National Library, you can watch this on lsm.lv. But this is, of course, the second anniversary of the beginning of the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia on um, February 24, 2022. And so this is going to be a major uh, charity concert uh, in which there are a number of some of Latvia's uh, top musicians taking part, uh, such as um, Intars Busulis, uh, the group Sudden Lights, uh, uh, the uh, very famous uh, pianist, um, uh, also Ukrainian Andres uh, Osokins, um, and, and a number of other uh, very well-known musicians as well. So um, that, that is to raise money. Um, and uh, also uh, should be a great chance to uh, continue to 
show Latvia support for the ongoing um, uh, fight and the uh, plight of the uh, Ukrainian people, which we are all, um, you know, trying our best to to help. So, um, Otto, I believe that just about does it for this week. Um, any, so, um, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, seeing you in person tomorrow, certainly, but um, I want to thank you for uh, being here with me this week and uh, getting a chance to talk through all of these interesting stories. Uh, any thoughts you'd like to leave us with uh, before we wrap up for this week? I would recommend everyone to stay warm and stay safe uh, and uh, try to avoid uh, the different colds and flus that are going around. Let us be careful uh, with that. Uh, but hopefully uh, this will pass soon enough and we will be able to um, enjoy the uh, uh, spring or at least the warmer weather uh, soon enough. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks you. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners. Also, uh, Kian, who keeps our social media page updated as well. And um, we look forward to being back and talking about all the things that have happened uh, the next time that we record. So until then, Visalabavisium. Visalabu.